You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are still without phones this week. Uh, We'll be back on the phones Monday. That's such a vital part of this program, and uh, we will we will be back in full strength uh, next week with that. Uh, meanwhile, if you want to join the conversation on the show, you need to go to our Facebook page, the WDT Facebook page, or go and hashtag us on Twitter, Detroit Today, to participate in the conversation. Uh, every student in Michigan is guaranteed the right to a, quote, free public education. State constitution says every school district shall provide the for the education of its pupils without discrimination as to religion, creed, race, color, or national origin. But does the United States Constitution give students a further right, a right to literacy? A federal lawsuit says it does. The suit was filed on behalf of a 16-year-old public school student on Detroit's east side. He argues many of his friends can't read, not because they're not smart, but because the system has failed them. The system has not taught them. We've seen a suit like this filed before on behalf of children in the city of Hamtramck, and federal courts turned it back. This new suit, though, some constitutional experts say, uh, has a better chance and might actually make waves in the judiciary. Joining me now to talk about this suit, to talk about the Constitution and what it says about rights, like this is Richard Primus, professor of law and a constitutional law expert at the University of Michigan. Richard, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start with the the, the very premise here uh, of the, a constitutional right to literacy. Uh, I spent a long time writing and reading and thinking about the Constitution when I covered the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in in the middle of the last decade. Uh, and so I know that, that the Constitution does not speak directly to this issue, but there are lots of things that we consider uh, fundamental rights uh, in this nation that, that are not mentioned by the Constitution. So is there something about this suit that, uh, that that's unusual or strange in the sense that it says, hey, look, there's a constitutional right to literacy, uh, and that right has been violated here in the city of Detroit. So that by itself doesn't make it strange. Exactly as you say, there are lots of things that are well accepted as constitutional rights, even though words describing those things particularly don't appear in the Constitution. And some of those things for a long time have involved education. So, for example, the courts have long recognized a constitutional right for parents to control the certain choices in the education of their children. For example, to teach them foreign languages. The state can't prevent you from teaching your children foreign languages. Um, It's quite clear that there are ways, and then it's quite clear that if the state is going to provide education to some students in the state, there are constitutional rights that attach to insist that all students in the state have to have the same access. Right, right. And and that's where we get into this question of equal protection uh, and due process. In other words, uh, not so much that, uh, that the right itself is expressed in the Constitution, but the prohibition against government providing things on the basis of 
race or color or creed or religion or denying things on those bases uh, is part of, of the Constitution. That's right. And so there's more than one idea in this lawsuit to explain what the problem is with the schools that are being challenged. One is, as you said in the beginning, the idea that there is a fundamental right to literacy itself. Uh Um, And that could be a freestanding right, uh, or it could be a right that is instrumental toward other rights. So, for example, the Constitution and the First Amendment guarantees rights of free speech and free press. And the Constitution elsewhere protects rights related to voting. And one idea is those are not rights that can be, ex- that can be executed, that can be um, uh, operationalized by an illiterate population. Right. Right? We need literacy to, ha- to exercise your First Amendment rights and your voting rights and so forth. And it, in other words, in order that citizenship requires them. Right. The second idea uh, is the equality idea. Right. The state of Michigan provides free public education um, to students all over the state. And as we all know, in one of the most famous cases that the Supreme Court ever decided, Brown versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court said that the state can't discriminate on the basis of race in how it provides that education. And that raised questions about whether there are other ways in which the state can discriminate in providing education. And in an important case decided in 1973, a case called Rodriguez, mm-hmm. the challenger, Rodriguez came out of uh, a problem that's very well known in American schools. In the city of San Antonio, Texas, there were lots of different public schools, and some of them were well-funded, and some of them were badly funded because funding came from local property taxes. And the educational outcomes were much better in the better-funded schools. And parents of the kids in the less well-funded schools said, this violates our kids' right to an equal education. And the Supreme Court in Rodriguez said, well, we're not going to go that far. We're not going to say that a state has an obligation to fund every school in the state equally. And we're not going to say they have an obligation to make every school equally good because we don't think that a rule like that could actually be enforced in practice. There are too many different things that go into figuring out uh, exactly how good a school is and exactly how you measure the quality of education being offered for us to say that every school has to be of equal quality. Yeah. But it might be the case that, that a certain baseline of adequacy is required, that you can't give a decent education to some kids, and to other kids, give something that doesn't really provide an education at all. That wouldn't be equal at all. The claims that the plaintiffs are making in this case, and they're pretty striking, are based on the factual conditions in a lot of the Detroit public schools, where they're saying, these are schools in name only. They're buildings where kids go and don't learn. Not for any reason that's the kid's fault, right? But the buildings are in 
themselves in terrible repair. They don't have adequate drinking water. They don't have adequate heating and cooling. Right? Mature adults probably couldn't concentrate. There are many teachers who are not certified. There are all sorts of other problems with curriculum and operation of the school. And the educational outcomes are shocking. Proficiency levels for the students in these schools over and over and over again are below 10%, meaning for any given grade level. In math, more than 90% of the students are deemed not proficient. In reading, more than 90% of the students are deemed not proficient. The students simply aren't learning. They're not literate. They're not numerate. And the argument that this lawsuit is making is this thing that the state is providing for these children is not an education at all. And if it's not an education at all, then these students are being treated unequally in violation of the U.S. Constitution. Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's a very, I mean, that's a, that's a very complicated set of arguments. Uh, but, but my sense is, uh, from talking to some folks uh, about this suit, that that is, uh, that's what makes this uh, sort of a novel question for the courts is that that these these sort of sophisticated ways of tying these awful outcomes in these schools and these consistently awful outcomes in these schools to things that are that are fundamental rights is the the, the sort of hope it has in the courts. I think that's right, um, but I think that um, at a very basic level, the claim in the case isn't so complicated. The claim is, if the state provides free public education, then it has to provide free public education to everyone. Right. And that and what's the, going on in Detroit does not qualify it's as education. It's just not. Right? Okay. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine a state that ran public schools in most of the state, but in a few of the school districts, they had buildings, and they hung a label on the buildings that said, school. And inside the school, there were no teachers and no books and no other educational materials, none. And students were required by law to go there five days a week, right? Schooling is compulsory. But when they got there, there were no teachers and no books. I think everyone would understand there's a problem here, right? The the, The state is not providing to these students what it's providing to students elsewhere in the state for their education. It, 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 I think it's an argument that you know, anyone could understand. And the claim in this suit is, at many public schools in Detroit, the situation is functionally no different. The students are not given the opportunity to be proficient in their basic educations any more than they would be if they were going to a school without teachers and without books. Yeah, uh, an important story about this was published in uh, Chalkbeat, uh, an online uh, educational uh, journalism magazine, last week, and and it details some of the things that were I- included in this suit. In this suit, and it really is stuff that absolutely blows your hair back. Uh, at at one school. Many students have a vocabulary of only a couple hundred words. Some students cannot even sound out letters. Uh, At the same school, middle school, science classes are currently taught by a paraprofessional. 
who says she doesn't understand the material and can't lead classroom experience. Uh, at another school, inexperienced teachers use Google to search the Internet for lesson plans the night before class. Uh, many paid out of their own pockets to obtain lesson plans uh, online. Uh, these are stories that we've heard for, for, for many, many years here in Detroit uh, and, and have, have seen in all kinds of publications how, how sort of wickedly uh, insufficient uh, the, the, the resources are there. It is, it is quite another thing, I think, to see in this lawsuit all of these things compiled together. I mean, it really does make the case that whether you believe uh, the constitutional argument or not, there is something so fundamentally wrong with, uh, with what's going on here. So I, I think it's, that's clearly right in what you say about the factual conditions that are described in the lawsuit. The complaint in the lawsuit, the document that the challengers file in the court, is about 130 pages long. Mm -hmm. And page after page of it is a litany of just shockingly horrible descriptions of things in these schools. Some of them that are about physical conditions, right, like undrinkable water in the fountains, um, sinks and toilets that don't work, ceiling tiles and plaster that falls from the ceilings of the school during lesson time, right? Like, these are not conditions uh, that are conducive to learning. And then there are descriptions of things that dedicated teachers in these schools, because there are dedicated teachers in these schools, um, have to do, right? They buy what educational supplies there are out of their own pockets, yeah. right? Which is not something that is reasonable to ask of public school teachers. And of course, they can't provide uh, either an amount or a level of supplies that would be adequate for the students. And then once you realize that the conditions in the schools can't seriously be called schooling, at that point, the constitutional equality argument is pretty straightforward. If the state is going to provide schooling to students in the Detroit suburbs or students elsewhere in Michigan, it also has to provide something that is actually schooling to the students of Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that that the pushback uh, in the courts uh, to this will be uh, rendered around the question of, not the question of whether these things are true, uh, because I, I mean, I think they're, they're indisputable, it will be around the question of responsibility for them. I mean, the, the, the state, I would imagine, will make an argument that, look, uh, we provide resources to all school districts on the basis of the same formula. Uh, that does not mean that everybody gets the same amount of money, but it does mean that everybody is uh, subject to the same process. And uh, what gets done with those resources at the local level is actually not our doing that that you have local uh, you have local school boards you have superintendents you have other people at the local level who are making those decisions and therefore the state is not abrogating its constitutional responsibilities if there is a constitutional breach it is happening as a result of what goes on uh, in these in these many school districts that we have so I I think you're right that the state probably will make arguments of that kind um, there are several obstacles to that sort of argument, or several considerations that the courts uh, should recognize on the other side. Um, one is, from the perspective of the U.S. Constitution, 
the state of Michigan is not entitled to pass the buck to, local to the city government. of Detroit. That's right. Right. As a matter of U.S. constitutional law, the city of Detroit is an arm, a creature of the state of Michigan. And Michigan is responsible for what goes on in Detroit. Then, as a factual matter in this particular case, um, you know, administrative and political control of the Detroit public schools is complicated. But for many years, as you know, most of us know, the state has had a fair amount of direct involvement through emergency management sure. uh, personnel and yeah. otherwise. So it's, it's not actually as if the state has not been dealing with this directly. And then there are two other considerations. One concerns um, the problem of race. Yes. The schools that we're talking about in Detroit are in excess of 90% non-white, sometimes 94%, sometimes 98%. And one of the questions that will be raised in this lawsuit is this. This thing that the state says, it says like, um, we aren't responsible for what goes on there, right? This is something that is out of our control. Other people have made the decisions and do the administration that causes this. And, and we're sort of done at that point. Would the state take that attitude toward a school district that was 90% white? Right, right. Because if the state wouldn't, because it's hard to imagine, right, the challengers will say, the challengers will say in a school district that was 90% white, where the students were overwhelmingly, like more than 90%, not proficient in basic literacy, the state wouldn't tolerate it. The governor and other state officials would not go to sleep at night thinking, yeah, it's not my problem. They would do something to fix it. And if they take a different attitude toward that situation, then the question arises, is it because, in some measure, of the race of the students involved? In Detroit, yeah. And, of course, that's a question that gets raised in, in the context of lots of controversies we have here in the state of Michigan. Think of the Flint water crisis, for instance. If that had happened, if you had poison water flowing through taps in the wealthier and whiter uh, jurisdictions of the state of Michigan, would there have been the delayed response? Would there have been many of the sort of snafus that we've seen with regard to Flint? Uh, last question before I have to let you go. Put uh, put some odds on the success of this suit. As I said in the open, Hamtramck tried this. Uh, the courts uh, turned it back. There are some differences, I think, with this suit. Um, uh, how friendly or how open do you expect the courts to be? I, I think it's very hard to say. I think there is a reasonable chance that this suit can succeed. Um, the legal arguments are like quite plausible, and the factual circumstances are pretty outrageous. Um, so I, th- I think there's a real case here, um, and it will not surprise me if down the road uh, the courts agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Richard Primus, constitutional law expert uh, and professor of law at the University of Michigan. Excellent, excellent analysis. Uh, Thanks for helping us through that. Uh, And of course, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Up next, we're going to talk about what's changing in the Dearborn schools. Ali Harb, 
a reporter with the Arab American News, is here. Stay with us on Detroit Today.